Welcome to the Portugal Podcast 2022 FIFA World Cup Part 6 as the Salisau smash Switzerland 6-1 in the round of 16. Just an absolutely incredible game of football. My name is Matthew Marshall and he is Tom Cundit. Tom, how is it up there on cloud nine? Absolutely wonderful watching, wasn't it, Matt? So jealous of you being in the stadium to witness that firsthand. But yeah, amazing, you know, great, great game. We've just waited for so long for a performance like that. And yeah, I'm still buzzing, mate. Tell me one thing then, Matt. We normally start getting your latest of your news and views. But just before we get on to this actual match, uh, you've been a bit busy, haven't you, mate? How many games have you been to? I've lost count, I think, Tom. It's over 20, I think 21, 22, something like that. And I've been really lucky. Obviously, I'm not taking it for granted. Last night, I finally got to see, you know, the Brazil first team. I went to see the game against Cameroon, as I mentioned. That was a bad move, but... Yeah, watching Brazil in the first half last night was really good. I saw Mbappe when France beat Australia. and Tomorrow will be my first day off, Tom, without any football since I got here. So it's going to be a bit of a change of pace. But, yeah, I'm quite enjoying where I am here. I've really got lucky with the location I'm at. It's, uh, it's really quite a nice little area with everything happening. But, yeah, still nothing to report, mate. <laughs> Just sleep, sleep, work and football, and that's it. But, yeah, I'm going to have a lot more about Qatar uh, in the next few episodes. Uh, as I get out there and experience a bit more of what's happening. But yeah, Tom, this game was just absolutely, absolutely sensational. Santos changed it up big time with Ronaldo benched for Gonzalo Ramos. And gee, did he deliver hat-trick. Unbelievable. The other changes were Otavio. Tom, he was fit again after copping that knock against Ghana. He came straight back into the side to partner William Carvalho. And Santos went with Rafael Guerreiro at left back and stuck with Dalo at right back. So apart from that, no surprises at all. But Tom, we've got to start with Gonzalo Ramos. This was just incredible. Of course, he scored the first goal from a really tight angle. Didn't look like anything was on, but he, he certainly did. And he smashed it with his left foot into the roof of the net. I'll just go through the other goal scorers. We had Pep rising high, getting between the two central defenders and heading home a corner delivered by Bruno Fernandes. And then Gonzalo Ramos, trademark. Anticipation, getting in front of his marker. We've seen that plenty of times for Benfica and the under-21 side. Steered it through Summer's legs. And then he was involved again as uh, Otavio started the moves. Joel Felix up to Ramos. Showed uh, good awareness to just lay it on a plate for Guerreiro, who was in acres of space. Smashed it into the roof of the net. Akanji got a goal back, but really there was no threat of Switzerland making any comeback here. And Portugal put it to bed with Gonzalo Ramos. On hand, Felix feeding him, and a nice little dink over Sommer. And then Rafael Leão coming off the bench a couple of minutes later in added time. Trademark finish from him, cutting in from the right wing, picking his spot in the top corner, and too easy. But Tom, we've got to start with Gonzalo Ramos. And of course, we mentioned him quite a bit, didn't we, in the first episode when we broke down the squad. Looked pretty good in the Nigeria friendly. He's looked pretty good in his limited opportunities in Qatar. Didn't get that start in South Korea, but he got it here and he made it count. What an absolute game to remember for Gonzalo Ramos. Yeah, absolutely incredible, isn't it? Uh, 21 years old. <clears throat> you know, incredible to think that uh, he's done what he's just done today as a 21-year-old. You know, his first competitive start for Portugal, first start at a World Cup. And uh, yeah, what a game! Three, uh, you know, three goals, a hat trick. Scoring a hat trick in any game in the World Cup is pretty good, let alone a knockout game. You know, against strong opposition, 
great goals, like you say, that first goal, an absolute beauty. And uh, yeah, as well as the goals, of course, his, his all-round game. I think right from the very start, Matt, I don't know if you noticed, I think it was in maybe even the first minute after the first few seconds, there's a long ball over the top. And uh, he just uh, showed an amazing piece of control, kind of jumping in the air, pulling it down. <coughs> uh, didn't come to anything, but you could just see, you know, this is a player who's full of confidence. Everything he's done at Benfica so far this season, you know, he's just, and we've talked about him, haven't we? Every step of the way, he's, uh, every time he's had to make a step up, whether it's the under-21s, whether it's Benfica, first team, he's just delivered the goods. And, uh, well, he's done it again, hasn't he? Uh, absolutely incredible uh, performance. And, of course, you and I and uh, people in Portugal know him very well, but I'm guessing he was pretty much unknown to a lot of the wider football world. Uh, they certainly know about him now. That's for sure. I, mean, I got approached by a journalist from The Athletic at the beginning of the season who wanted my, I guess, knowledge about Gonzalo Ramos. And then when I asked how much uh, money he would be willing to offer me, he, uh, he disappeared. And I guess one of the reasons <laughs> I, haven't, I don't do any scouting reports is just because I guess I was the victim of some plagiarism at university. And I've just seen firsthand how much plagiarism goes on in the football media world and uh, that's I guess one of the reasons I haven't really done any scouting reports but I certainly could have there's going to be a barrage now isn't there of, uh, of uh, journalists scrambling to write articles about Gonzalo Ramos as he gets linked to every top club in Europe that's for sure we've already talked about it Tom we've done this he's got all the skills he can do everything he's anticipation left foot right foot he's really good in the air really good with the header he can drift out wide. He can bring other players into play. He's smart. He's tenacious. He fights hard. He's got a great attitude, a great work ethic. What more do you want? What more could you ask for? And talking about being unknown, even uh, even one of the journos sitting next to me before the whistle was blown today said that Andre Silva should be getting the start ahead of Gonzalo Ramos. So he's going to come to... Uh, prominence much more what a stage what a what what an occasion to announce yourself i mean not a, not even like it was in the group stage where people might be watching other matches and it's not really that an important game you're talking about a knockout game here the last round of 16 match uh, where all the eyes were on him and all the eyes were expecting ronaldo the guy who he replaced in the starting lineup just just phenomenal that's the thing as if it's not enough pressure you know playing your first having your first World Cup start for your national team in a World Cup knockout game, you know, you also just happen to have the slightly difficult task of replacing, you know, <laughs> one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And just the fact that you are his replacement means that, you know, you're going to be under even more scrutiny. And yeah, he just didn't phase him at all, did it? No, he took his chance so well. And uh, I mentioned to... Uh to one of the journals in the press conference that I don't think I'm going to be seeing Gonzalo Ramos play for the under-21 side again. He's going to be uh, in that Cellar South side, I would think, from now on. So, uh, well done to him. Congratulations. He actually was asked uh, who his role models were because he was obviously man of the match and he had to go into the press conference and answer some questions. You can see he's not used to the bright lights and he's got a long way to go to, to feel comfortable in the, in the press conference type setting. But, of course, Ronaldo was the first player that he mentioned. So, um, yeah, just in incredible moment for him. And just I feel so happy for him. It's just, it's just fantastic. 
Uh, Tom, before we get on to the other players, I just thought we might put this Ronaldo situation to bed because it obviously is um, tied into Gonzalo Ramos. And we talked about this situation where he got substituted off against South Korea. And I said it I didn't really look like that much. I also said I wasn't really watching it that closely. Uh, but then Fernando Santos got asked about it in the, uh, the press conference, the, 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 uh, the pre-match press conference. He wasn't happy with Ronaldo's attitude as he left the pitch. And then it came to light through Portuguese media that he, he uttered some pretty nasty words that were directed towards Santos. Now, from what I've been able to gather, it seems like there was a bit of confusion exactly who those words were directed to. And from what I can gather, Ronaldo said they weren't directed at Santos. But then Santos watched the footage again and was pretty sure they were. Is, am I getting that all right, as far as what you know? The, the reason for this confusion is because there were really two incidents. We have to split this into two incidents. Uh, when Ronaldo was substituted, <clears throat> he, uh, he did indeed, uh, you know, basically say to Santos that, oh, you know, you couldn't wait to take me off, could you? Uh, but said it, you know, with a, a whole load of uh, in, inappropriate words, I suppose we can say. Expletives. Thrown into the mix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Straight, uh, you know, so that's showing quite a, a big lack of respect to start with. But then, I'm not sure if it was before or afterwards, this Korean player uh, was trying to get Ronaldo to leave the pitch quickly because, of course, they were uh, got heading out of the World Cup at that stage. And Ronaldo didn't like that, and he, uh, you know, got into a bit of a to and fro that Korean player. Then, so when he left the pitch, and that, of course, if you remember, Matt, at the end of the game, of course, he was asked straight away ab about this, and Fernando Santos was asked about this, and they just focused on his altercation with a Korean player. Say, oh, you know, you know, it was just uh, I was angry with him. He was telling me to get off the pitch, but it's uh, it's, it's not up to him. It's the referee. And uh, Santos basically said that, yeah, that's what it was all about. But like you said, in the Portuguese media, they really kind of broke it down frame by frame. And you could clearly see what Ronaldo said to Santos, you know, before he got into that argument with the Korean player. And then in the pre-match press conference yesterday, that really surprised me. Matt, I have to say it quite shocked me that Santos, you could tell he was visibly angry with Ronaldo. You know, I've never seen him criticise Ronaldo in that way. <clears throat> he was just asked, what did you think of, uh, or are you unhappy with the way Ronaldo left the pitch? And he said, uh, there's two incidents. First, there's the incidents with the Korean player, and that's what I saw at the time, and that's why I gave the answers I did at the end of the match. Then, there was this other utterance, and I didn't like it. I have to say, I didn't like it one little bit. But this is something which, you know, is going to be sorted out behind closed doors. It is sorted out. Now we're focusing on Switzerland. So, you know, quite bruising words. I'm sure you've heard the same as me, Matt, you know, over the years. Santos has really backed Ronaldo to the hilt, whatever controversy he's been involved in. So it's really quite striking to hear those words. Now, whether the fact that Ronaldo was on the bench today is kind of a punishment or not, I suppose that's open to conjecture. Of course, Santos was asked right before this match uh, on Portuguese TV. They asked him, you know, that question. Is Ronaldo on the bench for disciplinary reasons? Uh, and Santos immediately said, no, nothing to do with that. It's just a technical choice. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I just think that Santos is not going to be, let's just say, he's going to keep some, some things to himself and he, he's not going to give the media everything. But my understanding is that 
that had everything to do with Ronaldo being benched today. And if he hadn't have made that reaction, then he would have been in the starting side today. So, look, it might not be 100% correct, but I would say it's, it's over 90% correct that, that that's what the case is. So that's just fascinating. That is just fascinating that if this is the end of Ronaldo as, as an undisputed starter, then he did this to himself through, through this, this arrogance that we all know that he, that he, that he possesses. Um, we've seen this thing with the Piers Morgan interview, criticizing Ronaldo for a lot of these, these, the ways that he is. I mean, he's been doing this basically his whole career. This is nothing new. But obviously, he's had a different situation in the cellar cell to some of his clubs and his relationship with Fernando Santos. So it is just fascinating. It is a fascinating dynamic when you think about it and when you think of what Gonzalo Ramos did as well. It's just, it just mind-boggling. It's also interesting when you think to yourself how much credit does Santos get for this and, and how well would, would the team play without Ronaldo, how much different would it have been if Ronaldo was there when all of this really, like Santos wouldn't have done this if Ronaldo hadn't have reacted that way. And, and that's what I find really fascinating about the whole thing. I, I think we'll get into Santos as a separate thing later, but also what I was curious about was if all this was correct, why wouldn't the, the UK and the USA media just pick up on that straight away? Are they not monitoring the Portuguese news websites or like where are they getting their information from? So that's why I was, I guess, skeptical of at the beginning because uh, I just assumed that, that the, the major news outlets would just go crazy for that sort of information. So, yeah, there was a whole lot of interesting things related to this, but I think we've broken it down. We don't want to spend too much on Ronaldo. You probably saw it when, when he came off the bench. It must have been such a humbling experience for him to, to be on the bench, to have to warm up with the substitutes, and then to come off the bench with, what, 20 minutes to go, whatever it was. It must have just been such... It felt like, it felt like a, you know, a teacher sending a, 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 a pupil to detention or something, or... Uh, a parent grounding one of their kids for doing something naughty and then you know okay you can come out of your bedroom now it was just it's just such a bizarre dynamic and, and, and in the press conference too he was asked about it obviously and he said you know I've known Ronaldo since he was a teenager and on and on we've got a good relationship and on and on it goes but I just I think it would be slightly naive to believe everything that any manager says, even a guy as you know religious and respectful and and, uh, <laughs> and seemingly old school as Fernando Santos, you know something like oh uh, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna tell the players who's playing on the on the day of the game and I don't know who the captain's gonna be and all this sort of stuff. My my mail is that this was already decided before today. Any final words on that, Tom? Yeah. Before we move on. Yeah, well, we could do a whole pod we, on this, yeah, <laughs> like you said, Pat. And also, I don't really uh, want to focus too much on this just because, it's, you know, it's such, we've got such fantastic other things to focus on. But I suppose the only thing, you know, stepping back and looking a bit at the bigger picture of this and Ronaldo in the last few months and what's happened to him at club level and, and things, I think it's just, I think even mentally, he's just finding it a real struggle, isn't he, Matt, to come to terms with the fact that he's not, the best player you know on his team anymore and uh, there are other options and I think he's just finding that really hard to cope with uh, and I suppose that's what's causing him to react in this way and like you said he's probably been like this his whole career but when you're banging in hat tricks every week it doesn't really matter does it, <laughs> it doesn't really matter uh, you know how you act or how arrogant you are you kind of 
you know, almost earned the right to, to be that arrogant. It's a bit of a shame that this has come to this. I think all this talk about him spoiling his reg- legacy or ruining his legacy, that's a load of rubbish. Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest Portuguese player of all time. He's given us so much joy and, uh, you know, so many incredible performances over the years that his place in kind of the pantheon of, of Portuguese greats, you know, will never be kind of touched, I don't think. But in this World Cup, just looking at the situation now, it is almost like a new chapter. Uh, you know, a new page has been turned over. So, yeah, let's let's have a look. And uh, if today is anything to go by, you know, uh, it's a pretty exciting chapter. It sure is, Tom. Let's uh, let's start from the back. Diogo Costa really had nothing to do. I mean, that, that goal from McKenzie was just a corner headed by uh, Ramos. <laughs> he, was all, he was involved yeah. all over the place and... Yeah, that was uh, another set piece though, Tom. Another assist. Wasn't it? Yeah, that. another assist, but just another <laughs> another another sloppy goal though <laughs> to concede from a set piece, isn't it? Really, if you want to. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah. I think that is one thing which Portugal really need to work on because they've been a bit sloppy this World Cup on set pieces. Definitely a bit of a, a warning sign for uh, you know the, the, the upcoming matches. Yeah, if we look at Ruben Dias, of course, he came back into the side, had a couple of interesting uh, duels with Bril and Bolo early on. But overall, again, not a whole lot to do. And Pep, the way he got right in between the two centre-backs from Switzerland and rose high and headed the ball into the net. An iconic moment in a way, Tom, and, and so happy for for him to get on the score sheet here. If we go over to right back, it was Deleu, of course. He Beautiful move. I don't know how he didn't get uh, credited with an assist, but uh, great move to uh, to go straight past Vargas and deliver a beautiful cross uh, for that goal for Ramos. And, uh, and Guarino, he got forward really nicely for his goal. And of course, another assist from him. And he didn't really get tested by Shakiri at all because Shakiri was on the other side of the pitch. Switzerland manager Murat Yakin basically going to the back three, as I mentioned, Ghana and Uruguay did. Didn't work at all though, did it? It really backfired. And, uh, yeah, it meant that Guerrero didn't have a whole lot to do. There was no one coming down his wing putting any pressure on him. So uh, what did you make of, uh, of the back four, Tom? Yeah, I think it was a surprise to me. Of course, everyone was focusing on the, uh, the news that Cristiano wasn't starting. And so uh, it kind of got lost in the mix a little bit that Cancelo wasn't starting. But that was a big call as well by Fernando Santos. If you'd asked Portugal fans before this tournament who were Portugal's most important players, almost all of them would have uh, included Joao Cancelo in that list. But yeah, he hasn't really been up to scratch so far. Or he hasn't certainly been at his best this World Cup. Dallo played really well, of course, in the defeat against South Korea. So Santos rewarded him with the start here. Uh, we mentioned it in the last podcast, didn't we, Matt? We were both a little bit inclined to see Cancelo on the left, just just to make Portuguese defence a little bit more robust from the physical point of view. But like you said, yeah, it just uh, you know it didn't work out like that at all. Guerreiro had a really good game. Uh, it's incredible, really. Every call Santos made in in this match just turned out to be the perfect call. Uh, you know, all the, the back four played really well. Yeah, like you said, Diogo Costa didn't have too much to do. I said it in the last podcast, Matt, but I'm going to repeat it again. I think you cannot overestimate what an incredible, important factor, I think, in Portugal's hopefully successful campaign at this World Cup is the fact that Pep is fit. This guy is just is a phenomenon, is an absolute phenomenon. Matt, 40 years old in February, 
Uh, anyway, I'm not going to say it again and again, otherwise I sound like a broken record, but it's just been superb so far, this World Cup, and I thought it was re really good again today. Of course, with a goal, like you said, beautiful goal, great connection, great run. 40 years old, just getting between those two big strapping centre-backs and thumping it into the net. But also the way he defended, you know, just defended so well. His anticipation is aggressive, but is, you know, aggressive in a good sense. And uh, his fitness, I mentioned, it, I mentioned it also before, Matt. It's incredible. He gets injured. He's out for a few weeks, a few months. Uh, well, in this case, it was about a month and a half. Comes back just doesn't miss a beat at all. Looks like he's been playing, you know, at the top of his game for the last few months and is, you know, is as fit as can be. So, yeah, huge boost that is for Portugal. Yeah, he's a warrior and he knows this is the swan song and, you know, what more motivation do you need? So, yeah, he's got that, he's got that extra bit of motivation going for him. So, we shouldn't... Wearing the captain's armband as well, yeah. of course. And we shouldn't forget that, you know, Urban Diaz and Pep haven't played that much together uh, in the last few years because one of them has been injured or had some issues. So that's why we've seen a lot of Danilo in that position. So they haven't really played together that often. Of course, this is only the second time in this tournament. They did it previously only in that game against Uruguay where they kept a clean sheet. And here, without that goal that was conceded from a corner, would have been another clean sheet. And really, Embolo never looked like scoring. And even when Seferovic came off the bench, Okafor didn't really seem to me like they were threatening at all, and that would be down to those centre-backs. And I wasn't that surprised with uh, Joel Cancelo not starting. Um, we've talked about how good Delo has been. We've talked about Cancelo not having as much impact as he, as he had before. We've also mentioned that Cancelo has basically been responsible for conceding two goals. So it's not, it wasn't that a huge surprise, although... What worries me a little bit is that Guerreiro wasn't tested at all. And against Morocco, who we'll talk about soon, Ziyech will be out there. And he will be tested a lot more against him. So that's something to think about as we uh, look ahead to Morocco. But back into midfield, no-brainer with William coming back in, really reverting to that purely defensive role without Ruben Neves in the team. And Otavio, a guy we talked up, who did really well under Santos most of the time, particularly in midfield, caught that knock against Ghana. We didn't see him in the, in the final two group games, but he's recovered. And he came straight back into the starting side here and did what he does best, getting around the pitch, plenty of aggression, doing a lot of work defensively. He's looking like a, a real key player under Santos in this system. Another really good game. You know, he played really well in the games we were talked about in our... Uh, in our last pod against Switzerland uh, when Portugal had that 4-0 thrashing of, uh, against Switzerland in Lisbon and then he played also in the second game uh, and he played really well. He played a superb game in the final World Cup friendly against Nigeria. So yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's interesting, Otavio, because he's not one of these players, I suppose you can say one of these really sexy players like uh, Bruno Fernandes or Bernardo Silva, which everyone talks about as being one of Portugal's, you know, brighter stars. But he always puts in a shift, doesn't he? He always plays really well for Portugal. And is one of these players who really, I suppose you can call him a facilitator. He, the, the stuff he does really helps the more kind of technically or the more kind of uh, flair players to uh, you know, to, he really kind of lays the platform for them to do their stuff. So, yeah, really excellent performance by Otavio today, without a doubt. Yeah, he's been Porto's best player for years. And 
what's annoyed me so much about Sergio Conceição is that he plays him on the right wing so often, where he's just not as effective and he doesn't get as much ball. And I've never understood why you wouldn't put this guy closer to the middle of the pitch. And for Porto, why you wouldn't have him in more of a 10 spot. When I saw him in Geneva, he was out on the right wing and he really didn't do anything. I think it's almost the same thing here. If you're going to play Otago, you've got to play him in the middle of the pitch. He's got all the attributes. He's not going to let you down defensively. I think we're going to see a whole lot more from Otavio seems to really fit the bill as far as what Santos wants next to that more dedicated holding midfield. So fantastic to see him coming back in the side. Bernardo Silva, Tom, another performance that you would have to say was pretty quiet. I don't really remember him getting that involved, but once again, he was all over the place, getting players involved and opening up space and doing his thing. Yeah, really hard working as well. You could see him just absolutely drenched in sweat you know after I think even before the half time whistle had gone we mentioned it before haven't we also he's just such a workhorse quite often in the Manchester City games in Premier League games when they show the stats at the end he's the he's the player out of the 22 on the pitch who has run the most and uh, you know which is it's, it's incredible being that he's such a technically gifted player that he's also got that side to his game So, yeah, that kind of sums up his World Cup so far, I think, for Portugal, Matt. Uh, You know, in Qatar, you haven't really seen the, you know, the incredibly skillful, you know, silky left foot of Bernardo Silva doing his stuff. Uh, He hasn't scored any goals. He hasn't provided any assists. But I think he's just been the perfect team player as well. He's just worked so hard. And, uh, you know, again, that's, uh, that's kind of laid the foundations for others because... You know, when you got a player like uh, Joao Felix, I'm sure we'll come on to him in a while, uh, you know, you need players like Otavio, like Bernardo Silva, or this version of Bernardo Silva, who are really just going to work their socks off and, you know, allow that uh, kind of flair player, you can call, I know in Portugal, they're sometimes called a luxury player, to, uh, you know, to do their stuff. Yep, and he got an early rest here alongside Bruno Fernandes, who got the assist that was uh, from the corner delivered to Pep and yeah another solid game from Bruno Fernandes and good to see that you know he doesn't have to be heavily involved for Portugal to win big yeah that's right yeah I thought he got better and better as the game went on again quite quiet in the first half especially compared to the first two matches of course where he was really you know doing everything pulling the strings for Portugal but uh, yeah really you know really good game again really good solid game and like uh, like Bernardo Silva both of those players are really incredible players Matt because as well as being so creative you know so intelligent footballers they're both really hard workers you know uh, uh, Bruno Fernandes more kind of he's not really that aggressive is he uh, it, more just you know his positioning is harrying making life difficult for for the opposition players I suppose Bernardo is a bit more inclined to actually get his foot in but uh, both of them really, really hard workers, and so, yeah, you know, no doubt about it. That's a, that makes for a, you know, a, a midfield full of industry, but full of creativity and skill as well. Yeah, it's really interesting what we're seeing with these two guys. It was basically a four-two-three-one a lot of the time with uh, Bernardo in the, in the in the ten spot and Bruno on the right, which we've seen, you know, in the first two group games. So, it is a little bit of a switch with those two guys as far as positioning goes there is a lot of uh, fluidity something Santosh talked a little bit about in the post-match press conference but yeah those two guys are indispensable 
And it's just so good that Portugal can find ways to win and dominate games without relying on on Bruno scoring. And, uh, and, and even Bernardo, as you said, no goals or assists, but you know Portugal are still getting it done. So if he does pop up with some goals and assists, then it's going to be a little bonus, you'd have to say, for Portugal as far as production goes. Joao Felix, he was sensational in the opening match against Ghana. A little bit quiet against Uruguay. We didn't see him against South Korea, but we saw a lot of him here, Tom. And uh, he really looks to be enjoying his football, of course. He had a lot of space out there with the way that Switzerland set up. And he took advantage of that, and he was heavily involved in uh, almost everything Portugal did in attack. Absolutely sensational. Without a shadow of doubt in my mind, his his best Portugal performance. Absolutely just running the show. You know, uh, I really like the way, especially in the first half, he dropped back a lot. Quite often he was picking up the ball, you know, not far from the Portugal penalty area. And he was just drifting past his markers, you know, one or two fantastic slaloming runs. And then always, again, picking off great passes. I think he was involved in every goal. Incredible performance as well as the, uh, you know, just so much skill and so direct, uh, again, intelligent, really using his skill. Uh, Matt, I forgot to mention when you were going through the goals at the start of the pod, that fourth goal, I think I've seen it about 15 times, Matt. It's just an absolute work of art. That fourth Portugal goal, uh, the Guerreiro goal, uh, if you ask me, I think uh, it's possibly the goal of the tournament so far. You watch it from start to finish. Guerreiro plays it back to Diaz, Diaz to Felix, plays a really clever first-time ball straight to Otavio, Otavio a little back hill. Then Felix picks it up again, shimmies past his marker brilliantly and now he's racing towards the box plays it to Ramos Ramos controls it with one foot uh, plays it out to Guerrero in the second foot Guerrero who remember started the move is racing right into the box and just smashes it in to the roof of the net it's really an absolutely beautiful goal that encapsulates everything which is great about Portuguese football you know such an artistic goal skillful uh, beautiful beautiful to watch and yeah this this was a it was really a masterclass by Joel Felix, no doubt about it. And rumours, of course, about his situation at Atletico and the way he's used there and whether or not uh, Diego Simeone is the right coach to get the best out of him. I'll tell you what, if he continues playing like this, there will be a lot of managers who would like to have him in their squad, without a doubt. Yeah, he's got a whole lot of talent. And when he's playing with a bit of flair, given a bit of space, and uh, looks like he's enjoying himself, then... You're going to get the best out of him. And, you know, we spoke about this in the first episode. Portugal have got guys that can win a match by themselves and, and just, you know, open, unlock doors and, and create things out of nothing. And he's certainly one of them. And uh, it's great for Portugal that uh, he's in form. He's in form, Tom. Looking forward to see what he can do against Morocco. We spoke about Gonzalo Ramos. So we'll take a quick look at the bench. We saw Nevsh. Come on, didn't get too much game time alongside Ricardo Horta, Vitinha. Uh, had a bit of game time there in midfield. Rafael Leal, he came off the bench and did what he does best. I don't know how many times he scored this type of a goal for AC Milan, cutting in from the right wing and finding the top corner. I guess it's interesting, Tom, that uh, Fernando Santos addressed Leal in that pre-match press conference, basically saying that he gets a lot of freedom for AC Milan and... Playing for Portugal, he has to be a little bit more disciplined and think about his positioning a bit more, which is, I guess, indirectly saying that 
he's selfish. Is is that basically what that's what we were saying too? He, he doesn't, you know, it's, it's not about the team. It's all about him. But uh, you know, that's basically another way of reading what Santos said. I think he only got a few minutes here. He was the last guy to come off the bench, but. Again, proving that he's one of the best bench options Portugal has. Wonderful goal, really wonderful goal. They were interesting, weren't they, those quotes by Santos, just basically saying he has to be more disciplined, whether that's a question of him being kind of selfish or maybe him just not really being used to doing that kind of uh, job, which he, which he has to do when he plays for Portugal. If he can come on and do that when, it, when it's tied or something, he could uh, you know, really make a, be, a, be a game changer or a game winner for Portugal. But yeah. uh, I guess I guess those quotes by Santos really just uh, you know kind of back up what we suggested in previous podcasts. Yet that can't really see him getting a start any time. He, he's definitely be a bench player, I think. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned Ronaldo, but not really in context of what he did on the pitch. It really annoys me when you know he comes off the bench and he's not there for long, and he still gets caught offside. Uh, you know, he scored that scored that goal and he was offside. And it happens so often with him. You think, just just get yourself on side, mate. I mean, you're going to get into so many situations where Portugal pick up the ball, they're going to be looking for you. Just get yourself on side. It can't be that hard, but you didn't get a whole lot of time to uh, to do much here. But what, what did you actually see from him on the pitch? Yeah, I was actually quite, uh, you know, that little cameo. I was quite pleased with that little cameo. He seemed to be more energetic than he has been in previous games. You know, the goal, OK, he was offside. That's right, yeah, he, good two yards offside it's one of those ones where you you know the in the old days that would just be flagged straight away now they've got instructions to to let the you know the the play go to the end before flagging it for offside but uh, nevertheless you know I think the defender and the goalkeeper you know they couldn't be certain and it was it was a great finish actually uh, and then he was also in a good position for a header unfortunately Leon's cross was just a bit too high for him you know, not too displeased uh, with his contribution, I suppose you can say. Like I was saying earlier, without doubt, the greatest Portuguese player who, you know, ever put on that Portugal shirt. And so, you know, he's still got that goal potential in him, isn't he? If he's coming off the bench, who knows, Matt? He could still score a very important goal or play a very big, make a very big contribution to hopefully Portugal's progress in this tournament. Yeah, you have to imagine it was just such a humbling experience. Not only you know, the whole story surrounding this, uh, the reason why he was benched, but for any player, losing a spot to a guy who scores a hat-trick, that's going to kind of put you in your place. Let's just wait and see what happens. going to be fascinating to see what happens for Ronaldo for the rest of the World Cup. Okay, Tom, let's take a little break and come back with some of the player comments. I guess every player here is just uh, thrilled with the 6-1 victory against Switzerland. What were some of the main comments from the players after this victory? You know, like you can imagine, everyone is just completely upbeat, really good mood. Uh, some quite funny quotes also uh, going around. Uh, there's uh, Octavio when he was asked to comment on Gonzalo Ramos's performance. 
he said, oh, he was so good, uh, so good actually that I think it, it's good for me because it means that he'll be leaving Benfica soon. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Ottavio, uh, Porto player, and so uh, big opponents, of course, of Benfica's. Rafael Leal also showing how happy he is, even though he seems to be playing this limited role. At least that's uh, you know what he's saying. Uh, he said afterwards, I'm doing what I most like to do uh, in an incredible tournament. It's a dream. I think tomorrow we have the day off and Gonzalo, he'll be paying for dinner. And uh, that was actually mentioned by about two or three of the players. I don't know if they've got some kind of... Uh, you know, uh, rule or uh, if anyone scores a hat trick, they have to end up paying dinner for everybody. But uh, <laughs> chicken biryani all round. <laughs> Whatever the case, I'm sure Gonzalo Ramos, uh, if that is the case, he won't mind at all. Pep also, of course, assuming this new role really of being the captain almost, he was asked about his goal. He said it's quite interesting. He said, uh, you know, sometimes you just kind of get a feel for things on the pitch. He said, we've been working on short corners in training. But with our first corner of this match, we decided to go for a direct cross and, of course, ended up in the back of the net. So I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, also, quite a few other players, including Pep, looking ahead already, talking about Morocco. He's just saying, you know, nowadays, every game, every team uh, you play against, you, you, it's not a question of just having quality. You know, you really need to work hard. So that's what we aim to do. You know, we're going to really try and work hard so we can give more joy to our people. That's a theme which has gone through, and I'm, you heard it, I'm sure, in a press conference. Fernando Santos must have said about five or six times, you know, uh, OK, you know, great result, but we've got to keep our feet on the ground. You know, we've got a match in four days' time. It's against Morocco. Morocco just beaten Spain. And uh, it was interesting that he said a few times, Santos, uh, this wasn't a question of Spain playing badly. You know, Morocco fully deserved to win that. That's going to be a really tough game. So the players, I think they recognised that it was an amazing game today. But I think they realised that uh, also Gonzalo Ramos, actually, he had quite a nice quote afterwards. He said, yeah, amazing day, amazing game. But when we play Morocco, you know, the game starts nil-nil. doesn't matter that we won 6-1 today. So, yeah, that's a good attitude to take into the next one. Joao Felix, yeah, he was asked if it was his best game for the Selecao. And he just said, well, that's not really for me to say, that's for others to say. I'm just doing my job, I'm happy, and I'm trying to make everyone else happy. And, uh, yeah, he certainly did that today. Yeah, interesting. It was, it was really nice to see Gonzalo Ramos in the press conference. Just so young, and, and I was in the press conference with Lionel Messi and Harry Kane and yeah Ronaldo and after the first game and these guys have just been around the block how many times with press conferences and journalists just nothing faces those guys they're just ready for every question and they can handle everything they you know but you can see with Ramos he's still so new to that sort of game and in this occasion you know he walks into the press conference and you got journos from all over the place ready to hit him with questions and uh, you know he's obviously getting the translation for a lot of it but it's just like, yeah, it's just like a kid in, a, in an adult's world. It's, it's just, just fascinating. But, yeah, good to, good to get yeah. some of these insights and uh, obviously some of those insights from the players. Um, you do realise, once you've been around players, that, you know, they are media trained and they are told to, to look ahead to the next game. And I have found with managers, like usually when you ask players about another player or you ask a manager about a player, they're very quick to deflect to the team. 
I did kind of see with my question about uh, Gonzalo Ramos to Fernando Santos straight away he was just basically going to look I've got three strikers they're all good and <laughs> I was expecting a little bit more of like um, you know just praising Gonzalo Ramos for getting a hat-trick in this situation but um, yeah Santos is still pretty much old school I would say as far as you know deflecting to the team and not really wanting to focus on one player too much um, yeah is that the way you saw it just- Tom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I've I wrote. Now you talk about that. Of course, we you asked him for the player reactions, but uh, let's just have this quote from Fernando Santos, being as it was a response to a question from your good self about uh, Gonzalo Ramos. And yeah, you're absolutely right. He, I think you mentioned it in one of the previous podcasts, didn't you, Matt? Fernando Santos, his typical Portuguese in one sense. You ask him a question, and he's one of these guys who will never give you. Uh, 10 word or 100 word answer when a 1000 word answer will do (laughs) (laughs) his answers go they do tend to go on and on and on but yeah it was quite interesting because uh, yeah I thought he was obviously keen not to go overboard on his uh, praise of Gonzalo Ramos and like you said he actually started responding to your question about Gonzalo Ramos talking about uh, Andre Silva and Ronaldo, you know, saying he's got three strikers here, and so you know each of them have got their own characteristics. Then he started talking a bit about Silva, then about Ronaldo, and then finally came on to Ramos. Yeah, he said he's extremely dynamic. He attacks space. He's having a great season at Benfica. That's what clearly caught my eye. And in training, uh, yeah, he's shown all of those. He's shown all of these attributes, and so it's no surprise. He also mentioned that he wasn't really surprised. At, uh, what he did today uh, and the fact that he came off the bench in the last two games I think something we mentioned also Matt in our earlier pods is he actually looked quite good didn't he I know he only got a few minutes in each game but he looked pretty good uh, whenever he's you know he's been on the pitch so again another really sign of his just incredible confidence and also yeah just going back to what you were talking about there with the, you know, the, the interest, it's interesting, isn't it, looking at players outside the pitch in a press conference environment, kind of getting a little bit of a window into their personality. And yeah, you're right, Matt, that just really stood out how, how young uh, Ramos is. You know, he's only a kid, he's only 21 years old. He's only really been known for about a year or so as a you know, top-level professional footballer. And I thought it was actually quite nice when he was asked who one of the questions was uh, something like... Uh, you know, have you had a chance to, to speak to, to your family and your friends? And, you know, what kind of messages have you had? And he said, he just said, you know, it was only about 20 minutes after the game, wasn't it? So he obviously wouldn't have had much time. And he said, no, I just got the chance to have a quick look at my phone. Uh, you know, after the match, uh, I just spoke to uh, my mum and dad and uh, a couple of my best friends. That's the only thing I've had time to do. And then I came straight out here, you know, so I just thought that's, yeah, that's really nice. So you just kind of forget sometimes, don't you? You know, these are just like human beings and it's just like a 21 year old kid. You know, imagine that, you know, <laughs> getting on the phone to your mum and dad after you scored a hat trick in a World Cup match and then watching that. That must have been quite an amazing, you know, experience for them and for him. So, yeah, it's a yeah really nice part of the press conference that was. Yeah, Tom, and that makes what he did on the pitch even more incredible in a way the way he is on the pitch doesn't kind of reflect (laughs) the way he seems off the pitch if you know what I mean 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm making. Yeah, on the pitch, he looks like it's like say a seasoned professional, isn't he? He looks like the real deal. Where you see him off the pitch and you realise he's really just starting out. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Tom. Let's take another quick little break and uh, come back and talk about Morocco. Okay, Tom, Portugal have passed the Switzerland test. I have to say, I was always confident going into this match. I mean, we spoke already in the last podcast that you were there and you saw Portugal destroy Switzerland and beat them 4-0. And uh, I talked about the game in Geneva where they really dominated Switzerland despite losing 1-0. And I think that just goes to show that people can get a bit fixated on, on the score and they really lose sight of what actually happened in the game. And I've got to admit, I was always confident that Portugal were going to win this game and win it well. And when I saw Switzerland's starting lineup, I mentioned it in, in, the, in the preview I did from outside the stadium, Edmilson Fernandez was playing out of position and he was going to be a huge weak link and, and something that Portugal would be able to target through Joao Felix. And it seemed to pretty much play out that way. 6-1 surprised me, but... Portugal winning really well didn't really surprise me. And from some of the things I saw pre-match, you know, a lot of people were expecting a closer match here. I wasn't really seeing it that way. And I, I have to admit, Tom, I'm not really seeing Morocco that way either. I know you gave them a bit of a pump up there. Of course, Fernando Santos and the players are going to say how much they respect Morocco. That's obvious. I was at their game where they beat Belgium 2-0. That was pretty good. Morocco have been really solid defensively, Tom, especially after the new manager, Walid Regragui, took over in late August. They've hardly conceded a goal. I think that goal they conceded against Canada was an own goal. So they're very, very difficult to break down. They got some really good players, of course, uh, dominated by their fullbacks. Uh, Mazadawi, who's at Bayern Munich, and Ashraf Hakimi, who's at uh, PSG, cold-blooded with that that last uh, penalty in the shootout, Tom. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, Hakim Ziyech, the guy who uh, Ajax and then uh, and then Chelsea, he's got a lot of ability. He basically hangs out on the right wing. They've got some, some excellent players, but I think overall as a team, they've got some, some weaklings, especially once you start to see the substitutes coming on. And I just don't think Portugal have much to worry about here, to be honest. I think they're going to beat Morocco and they're going to beat Morocco well. I think they've got the players to... Unlock the door, although it's going to be another back three. Fourth out of five games that Portugal will come up against a back three. They won't be too easy to break down, but I think Portugal will be able to do it eventually. We saw Spain with 77% possession today. And Morocco, you know, really not doing a whole lot. It looked like they were pretty happy to get to extra time and penalties. But I'm confident of Portugal's chances here. And I think if you had have said to anybody, any Salazar supporter, that Portugal would be taking on Morocco in the World Cup quarter-finals, they would have taken that every day of the week. Well, there you go, Matt. 
I've been living in Portugal for 24 years or 25 years now. So I think the Portuguese pessimism has a <laughs> rubbed off a little bit on me because I have to say, I've, I, you know, I think Portugal have got a very good chance, but I'm not at all uh, confident that it will be easy. Uh, but I have to say, I also didn't think it would be so easy the game today. But I'm not because, uh, you know, they've, it's like you say, they've got an incredible defensive record. I think in the last seven games, they've just conceded one goal, that own goal. And I watched the game today against Spain. And Santos is right. You know, Spain really just didn't find it, uh, found it almost impossible to break through. You know, they, it wasn't a question of, you know, the Morocco goalkeeper having a, a stormer or anything like that. I think he had made a couple of good saves, but uh, basically Spain just found it impossible to create chances. And, you know, they have got some very good players. You mentioned there, Hakimi, of course. I remember watching him, really impressed for him. When PSG came here to town to play Benfica, he looked good again. One thing, I suppose, Matt, they're going to be pretty exhausted, I think. You know, that was a gruelling match today, a really gruelling match. I was amazed at Ziyech, uh, who looked just absolutely, you know, out on his feet, completely exhausted, about 60 or 70 minute mark. And so I was amazed that he actually played the whole 120 minutes. But the thing is, he was absolutely exhausted. But then any time he got the ball, you know, that left foot of his is, you know, it's it's a wand. It's, a, it's wonderful. So... He did some damage with some, you know, really raking, dangerous passes. I tell you what, they could have easily won that game either in the 90 minutes or in extra time. The substitute striker, you know, was played in two or three times, had some really good goal, some really good chances, really should have finished Spain off. But I suppose on the looking on the, you know, the other side of the coin, that kind of shows, you know, he's the substitute striker because he's maybe not up to much uh, in terms of quality. Uh, he really, you know, didn't. There were bad misses, and so yeah, I'd say Portugal are favourites. But no, I'm not at all expecting uh, an easy win, uh, especially as we know that Portugal do struggle sometimes or often when they come up against defensive teams, strong defensive teams. As long as they get through, I don't mind. You know, one nil, extra time, penalties, whatever. I just want to see Portugal in the semi-finals. Yeah, I think they've got a great chance. You know, Bufal's pretty handy on the other side of the uh, of the pitch yeah. on the other wing, and uh, Yusuf Nesri is not a bad striker. But you mentioned that you know once you're getting into the guys off the bench, nowhere near the quality of what Portugal have. I'm just fully confident Portugal are going to win this game, and uh, I've got no doubt about it. And just uh, just touching on that uh, that that Portuguese pessimism, Tom. I, the journalist section there is uh, is nowhere near the Swiss journalists. So, you know, sometimes you go to games and you have to be respectful when Portugal score uh, because you might be next to a Swiss journalist or, you know, they might be around you and you're not going to go ballistic. Not, not that I was going ballistic today, but I've got to admit, especially with Gonzalo Ramos and just being so happy for him, you know, I wasn't jumping around going crazy, but, I mean, I was, I was you know, celebrating in my own little way and, and, you know, not shouting my head off, but, you know, enough to, to be able to celebrate. And none of the other journalists were, were sh- sharing any of that celebration, Tom. The first one actually knocked the guy's uh, phone out of his hand who was sitting next to me um, after the first goal. And I said to the guys to the right of me, I said, does Gonzalo Ramos have to score five goals before you guys will get excited? 
And I don't know why that is. I mean, is that be- is that because they're on the the anti Santos train, Tom, or is it a, a Portuguese thing? I mean, why was I the only one celebrating a massive win for Portugal in the World Cup round of sixteen? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know the answer to that, Matt. You know, perhaps they were just uh, you know so used to Portugal, especially even when they get to get get themselves into seemingly unlosable positions. <laughs> Uh, you know, somehow managed to ma- mess it up or make life hard for themselves. So, um, so yeah, uh, I think that's possibly a, yeah, it's possibly a trait which I've never really thought about much. But I think you're right, actually, Matt. I remember, you know, going to plenty of matches with Portugal and not really seeing too much emotion from the, uh, the you know, the other journalists, especially the. I suppose the press guys, maybe the, the radio journalists, they tend to, you know, do a good job on transmitting the, you know, the energy and the, you know, the emotion of the game. Uh, I remember going, actually being in the, the final of the European Championship 2016, and uh, I was also talking about this to uh, the guy who I was next to. I think it's Diogo Pombo, who at the time was working for. Observer, if I get it right, a, a Portuguese uh, newspaper. Yeah, and I was mentioning this that you know, oh, you know everyone's very well behaved, or the Portuguese journalists very well behaved here. And it was only really when Eder smacked in that goal that then you know even <laughs> the most conservative Portuguese journalist who was in that stadium really couldn't hold back their emotions. But yeah, perhaps you're right. You know, uh, be interesting to see if that changes, Matt, as uh, Portugal progress. Hopefully. The nearer they get to that final, you know, it will be quite hard, I think, to keep your emotions in check or keep their emotions in check. It just blew me away. I mean, it wasn't really anything at all. Like, Portugal kept scoring goal after goal, and, and their demeanour didn't change one bit. It, it was uh, just to the left of me, to the right of me. It was, it was. I found it incredible. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to try and figure that out <laughs> at a later stage. Let's celebrate Portugal getting to a World Cup quarter-final, Tom, because this has only happened three times in the history of the planet. First time was 1966 in England, and it was El Sabio playing a huge part there. And that was when there was only 16 teams in the World Cup, Tom, so straight out of the group stage into the quarter-finals. And, of course, they were down 3-0 in that famous game against North Korea. And El Sabio scoring four goals as they won 5-3. They got to the semis, took on the hosts, and couldn't quite get it done. It was a tough order against uh, the English side at Wembley. Bobby Charlton scoring a couple of goals. El Sabio getting a goal back late on, but not enough to, uh, to get it to 2-2, Tom. And then they had to wait until 2006, 40 years later, in Germany, where they took on Netherlands in the round of 16, Tom. The Battle of Nuremberg. Never forget that game. And they got through that. And uh, then they took on England in another famous game. That was the game where Wayne Rooney got himself sent off. And all of that kerfuffle. I remember watching that game in Villamora, Tom. And I remember <laughs> some drunk English guy just going ballistic after the game and having to be restrained by some Portuguese people. He just couldn't handle it. I'll just never forget the English media somehow blaming that on Ronaldo when Rooney deliberately and obviously basically stepped on Carvalho's balls as he was lying on the ground. I mean, it just there was nothing dubious about it. Anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. Portugal got through on a penalty shootout, 
but they uh, couldn't quite handle France, could they, in the semis with Zinedine Zidane scoring a penalty. So, Tom, only two quarter-final appearances in the World Cup for Portugal. That's quite incredible when you think about the squad they have now. And both times they did it, they got to the semis. What are your thoughts on that? Good omen, hopefully, isn't it, uh, Matt? You know, like you say, uh, only two quarter-finals, they won both of them. So, hopefully, it would be three out of three uh, come Saturday evening. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I sometimes uh, say, especially to younger Portugal fans, you've got to kind of remember that uh, Portugal have only really been a top international side for a relatively short amount of time. People tend to forget this. You know, in the previous century, I, can't, I haven't got the actual numbers in front of me, but I think out of something like 23, 24 World Cups and European Championships, Portugal only went to three, I think, three or four, you know, in the, in the past century. And it's only since 2000, since the year 2000, which they've been to every single tournament. And so really, you have to say that Portugal were a little bit of a minnow, uh, you know, in, in the last century. And uh, although, uh, quite remarkably, when they did go to these tournaments, uh, you know, quite often they do very well, like in 1966 and, of course, 1984 European Championships when they got to the semis as well. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, they're writing history. Uh, there's no doubt about it, Matt. And uh, like many people have said, uh, many Portuguese journalists, many foreign journalists, people like me and you, Matt, who follow the national team closely, you look at this Portugal squad and, you know, I know there might be a little bit of recency bias, but it, you really have to struggle to think, surely Portugal haven't had such a strong, well-balanced, deep, squad with so many high quality options in so many positions uh you know so i suppose now perhaps one thing you could say with ronaldo you know a little bit on the wane perhaps one thing this squad hasn't got which previous squads have had is an absolute you know uh outright superstar because uh, we, we can't really call that ronaldo uh ronaldo that anymore can we and, you know, it hasn't got a, a Paolo Futuri. It hasn't got a, a Luis Figo. Uh, but, you know, again, perhaps that's a good thing. You know, you've got so many high-quality players. And uh, as the game today showed, uh, really playing as a team. And I suppose that is the key to success in this game. Yeah, the future is so bright. I'm seeing it with all of the youth teams getting to most of the yeah. tournaments and competing well. And for all of the uh, problems that the, the Premier Liga has as far as competition outside the big three goes, you know, you got to remember a lot of a lot of other leagues have less than the big three. And at the expense of maybe more competition, you have to remember that the production line that those academies are providing for Portugal's youth teams is just incredible. And you heard it with my interview with uh, Tiago Sardo, the under-17 press officer, and all the, the uh, behind-the-scenes information he gave you as far as how they're developing players that young and getting them ready to be professional footballers. That, it's, it's that grounding that's providing the platform for all these players to come through into the Cellar Sun. And we're seeing it now with all these young players, Antonio Silva, Gonzalo Ramos, Vitinha, Nuno Mendes, Diogo Costa. So many young players are, are in this team. It's just fantastic to see. And the production line is just going to keep providing these players and hopefully you know, a whole lot of continued success. There were a lot of dark years for the Cell. 
and uh, you just have to be really enjoying this for what it is. So, Tom, I think we're going to take a quick little break, and I think we need to dedicate some time to Mr. Fernando Santos. Okay, Tom, we're coming to the end, but I think we need to spend a little bit of time on Fernando Santos. And I mentioned the fact that I don't think that he would have made this change and brought in Gonzalo Ramos for Ronaldo if he hadn't had that bust-up coming off the pitch against South Korea. So, you know, hasn't the narrative shifted with Mr. Fernando Santos? Of course, you look at all those comments... And, um, you know, a lot of people on Twitter, even, even journalists that are not so familiar with Portugal, um, basically following the same narrative, uh, talking about pragmatic football, talking about negative football, talking about not getting the best out of such a great uh, squad. And, of course, not having the guts to really deal with this Ronaldo situation as Ronaldo comes to the end of his career and demands a whole lot of playing time. A lot of people's perceptions have shifted. A lot of people maybe realise that a lot of things they were saying about Fernando Santos were a little bit too negative, you might say, as Portugal start to go deep in this tournament and start to fill people with belief that they can actually win this World Cup. What's your thoughts on the um, changing perception, you might say, from some people regarding the Salazar manager? i tell you what, Matt, as I, I know it's... It's a little bit unelegant, isn't it, to kind of say, I told you so. <laughs> but uh, but uh, some of these, some of the vitriol and some of the um, insults, which are basically, you know, downright insults, which have been uh, directed towards Santos, it, it does kind of make this quite a satisfying result for people, I think, who, you know, may not be, you know, absolutely enamoured with Santos's every decision but you know I think he's a he's a coach who's done a pretty good job overall for Portugal and he's a coach who you know he's got his ideas and he knows what he's doing and you know if they come off like any football manager fair enough if they don't come off you know that doesn't make him the worst manager in the world and today I tell you what Matt is it possible that it could have gone any better for any manager you know a Portugal manager he makes the huge decision to drop Ronaldo, bring in Gonzalo Ramos. Gonzalo Ramos scores a hat-trick. He makes a, another big call, putting in Rafael Guerreiro at right-back instead of Joel Cancelo. Rafael Guerreiro, great game, great goal. Just makes those little tweaks to the, to the lineup that we've gone into detail with over the, you know, the last few pods. You know, dropping Ruben Neves. It seemed like that was his plan after all, wasn't it? To play him in that final game against South Korea, knowing that he wouldn't play him in this game. Bringing back Otavio, that worked out a treat. You know, basically, he got every single call 100% spot on today. And you know what, Matt? You still, you still see some of these people who have been, you know, giving Santos just so much jip for so many months instead you know fair enough uh, a lot of people are saying okay fair you know 
fair enough, I got it wrong. Santa's got everything right today. Congratulations on him. And there's a few people who, instead of, you know, even saying that, they say, at last, you know, at last this fool has done what he should have been doing for ages. <laughs> you just uh, cannot satisfy some people. No doubt about it. Fernando Santos, you know, has really solidified his standing as uh, today as, you know, a, a good leader of this squad and, uh, you know, completely stamped his authority all over this squad, all over, uh, you know, the, the, the old question of who caused the shots. Is it Fernando Santos? Is it Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, there's no doubt about the answer to that question after tonight. Isn't it fascinating, Tom, how Ronaldo basically did it for him with his, with his attitude? Isn't that just mind-blowing? I know. It's like you say, again, I don't really like to pile on at all to Ronaldo because, you know, like I say, he's just given us all so much joy as Portuguese football fans. But really, you could say he's almost kind of a, what's the Dug expression? Grave you know, tied, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or tied the noose, put it round his own neck, both in relationship to his position right now in this Portugal team. And also, I suppose you can say, you know, with, uh, you know, what happened at Manchester United, you know, most a lot of that, I think, was of his own doing, uh, or he certainly didn't really help himself with, uh, you know, many much of his attitude. So yeah, like you say, it's uh, you know the thing I'm most concerned about and most worried about, which I think most uh, Portuguese football fans are, is just you know how far Portugal will go and uh, in this tournament, you know, and if we can actually win it. The way things have worked out, you know, it's like you say really fascinating uh, dynamic which has brought us to this point but you have to say Portugal are in a pretty good place Fernando Santos absolutely with his authority I think untouchable now Ronaldo not being part of the team is an actual benefit to the team and now that's kind of just been proven isn't it so Portugal are almost in the perfect spot to maximize their chances of going really deep into this tournament so it's quarter to five in the morning and that's uh, that's the time to call call the people to to prayer so that's what yeah. you and the listeners will be hearing here in downtown doha that's what i just can't get over tom the magnitude of this match regardless of the 6-1 victory in a world cup round of 16 it, it's it's as you say it's what this means for ronaldo it's what this means for Fernando Santos, a guy who, let's face it, Tom, if, if they had have lost this match, very realistically could have lost his job. I just can't believe it. I, I just can't believe what I, what I saw tonight. You know, Gonzalo Ramos, the magnitude of, of what this means on so many levels, it's just, just, just blowing my mind. That's why I thought we'd get this podcast done, because I wouldn't have been able to sleep anyway. It's almost like a... It's almost like a turning over a new page isn't it Matt just this everything has come down to this one match hasn't it really in in so many ways because you know that basically that the Ronaldo question was such a big question you know whether he should play whether he shouldn't play whether he should start on the bench whether he should come off the bench you know does he make the team better does he make the team worse that's just kind of just disappeared after this match isn't it all those questions have been categorically answered. You know, I don't think there's any way you're not going to drop a guy who scored a hat-trick, are you? Yeah, I mean, I think you still need to be careful that you don't jump to any massive conclusions after only one game. 
I think you never want to do that in any, with any team in, in any circumstances. And of course, everything sort of lines up here to, to justify a whole lot of narratives. But yeah, it, it does seem to just be just such a massive game for, for so many different reasons. I just, I just can't get my head around the way it played out, Tom. I just, I, just, I just can't believe it, really. It's just blowing my mind. Still a very long way to go. As I said, I'm confident Portugal will get past Morocco, and then there will be two really tough tests to come. But uh, certainly no reason why Portugal, if they get it right on the day and players perform well and a couple of the match winners step up and uh, Ruben Dias and Pep do their job in the middle of the defence, then absolutely no reason why Portugal can't win this World Cup. Let's, uh, let's stick with the faith, Tom. Before we finish, has this result, what's it done to boost your, uh, your thoughts about Portugal going all the way here in Qatar? No doubt about it. The kind of politically correct answer by almost all the players and Fernando Santos after this game was, yeah, you know, feet on the ground. We've got another match in four days. We've got another tough match, which is correct answer to give. But, you know, they've just smashed Switzerland 6-1. Uh, Switzerland, who are, you know, a decent side, a good side. And so confidence levels must be really high. We mentioned it in the last pod, aren't we? The few things you need to go your way to, to win a tournament. And uh, I think that the one which I really, uh, I never forget, I, think this, I still think this is the, perhaps the major reason why Portugal won Euro 2016, is just you need players in form. You need players to hit a rich vein of form. You look at this Portugal side now, you know, and it's not just one or two. You know, there's about... What, five or six players there who really are playing at the absolute top of their game. For sure. I think there's plenty of reason to be positive. And uh, yeah, let's get past Morocco first and then let's worry about who's next. Who knows if I'm going to be able to get to sleep anytime soon, Tom. I just, I can't get, I just, I can't, I just can't get over what I've seen tonight. That was just incredible. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed that game as much as I did. Forza!